erosion. Chapter 8 To know the road ahead, ask those coming back. Chinese proverb. Carlton pulled up to the police building on Court Street and sat in the idling police car. There was too much going on at once and he needed to get it all straight. He grabbed the plastic bag on the seat of his cruiser and went inside. Carlton, we got someone here for you to talk to, the desk sergeant said as he walked in. Who's that? The Indian kid you arrested a couple of years ago for robbing the gas station outside of town with his friends. Lots of Indians get arrested here, Tommy. He's in the first room there. Tommy pointed to the small room that served as an interrogation room, among many other things. I'll check him out. Why'd they bring him in? Dutton said he'd been hanging around town. Hanging around town. He's kidding, right? That's what he said. Said he was acting suspicious. He questioned him on two occasions. What's the charge? Um, loitering, I think. I'll talk to the kid, but you tell Dutton to stop investigating cases for me. I'll take care of it. I'm the detective. Wait, he checked inside his coat and opened to the badge in his wallet. Yep, still says detective. The cops in the lobby laughed. Yes, sir, detective, Tommy said. Sorry. The kid sat at the desk, looking down at his feet, his hands hanging between his knees. Carlton walked in and studied him before he said anything. He looked all right. His first impression was of someone who was a little down on his luck and could put something together for himself. John, right, he said. The kid looked up and nodded. His face was clean-shaven and youthful. He remembered John from the arrest. He was the only one to get caught, and he wouldn't turn over on his friends. He tried to go hard on the kid at first, but it looked like he was just in on the robbery out of boredom and lack of opportunity to do anything else in life but commit petty crimes. According to the boy's grandfather, the father was a drunk and left years ago. The old man was helping his daughter do their best not to let John go down the same path as Daddy. What happened? He shrugged. John, do you remember me? He sat across the table from the kid and put the plastic bag in front of him. I arrested you a couple of years ago. I remember. You do anything again? Anything that will make this officer pick you up? Yes, sir. Carl was shocked. What'd you do? Loitering. Yeah, loitering. That's a crime around here, you know. Brand new, just got on the books. The kid laughed. What about the rain? Know anything about that? He shook his head. Can't really say that I do, sir. No Indian rain god mad at you guys over there on the reservation? Us? No. Maybe the gods are mad at us white folk. Don't know. You guys have a different god. There's some guy in the street preaching about the rain. Maybe I should ask him. John shrugged. You could say it. We're a little crazy, mixed up. God could be mad at us for something, I guess. I wouldn't know about that stuff. Me neither. What's your name again? John. You sure? Carlton leaned forward, looking into the young man's eyes. He remembered eyes like that once long ago. Jason would have been John's age, or close to it. Is there something you know over there on that reservation that we don't? John leaned back, looking like he did have something to say. Carlton decided to work harder at drawing whatever it was John knew out of him. John, I know that some people in town give you guys a hard time. He tried a sympathetic tone. I know that most of the cops have it out for you and that the Lalos are a bunch of bigots, but some of us want to help. I think we need to work together here. John nodded slightly and stared off at a corner of the room for a long time. Carlton let his mind churn for a while. I heard my grandfather say that we believe that everything is related to everything else. The spirit of the world lives through us all, John said. Fire, air, water, and earth are all in constant motion, and that is how the world works. 
This rain is just the beginning of something else. The clan council thinks that the evil of the pale men in this town has brought the anger of the great spirit on us. Is that true? Carlton was convinced that there was something to all this hogwash the Indian spouted. Is this our fault? John shrugged. I don't know. Sometimes I don't believe it, sometimes I do. It's hard because this is all I've known. My father left when I was a kid. He was useless when he did come back. My grandfather pretty much raised me. He follows the way of Handsome Lake. It's very important to him. He taught me my religion when I was a kid and my father left. It was very comforting when he'd tell it to me. It made the world make sense when I heard it. Now it was Colton's turn to stare into space. He knew nothing about these Indians. That's your religion, Handsome Lake? He's a prophet who received the guy Wai'u, the good word from the great spirit in a vision, John said. It's like our Bible, like Christians believe, but different. Anyway, we still rely on ancient ceremonies to give us answers from the spirits, and my grandfather said that they know that there is an evil in Canyon Park. He wanted me to dig around to find out what I could. Where were you going when they picked you up? I was going to the library. I needed information. Carlton smiled. Popular place, he said. What? John made a face. Forget it, Carlton said. He wondered how much the Indian ceremonies told them. So what is this evil in our town? Don't know. How about an idea, I guess? Could be a version of the bad spirit. Someone affected by his past that called up his avenging anger. Anger, huh? Could be, or it's restless white spirits seeking to avenge their death at our ancestors' hands. What's that? Settlers or missionaries who are basically innocent and were caught up in the government's fight with the Iroquois. You seem like a smart kid, John. Carlton stood up and pulled a card out of his front pocket. I'll have the guys let you go. Here's a card. Keep in touch if you or your grandfather find anything out. John stood and felt the card with both hands. You really want me to call you, he asked. Sure. You have anything you need help with? John was definitely smarter than he let on. We have a problem we're working on. We'll take care of it. But if I need you, how do I get in touch with your grandfather? Here. John took a pencil from his jacket and scratched a number on the back of a matchbook in his pocket. He tore the cover off and handed it to Carlton. This is the phone to my mother's house. Call us there. Carl accepted the number. Need a ride to the library, he asked. No, just back to the reservation. Good enough. I hope you realize that loitering is a serious offense. I'll let the arresting officer know that you're sorry. He smiled and made Carl feel good to see the boy smile. He missed the look of happiness on the kid's face. The feeling came back in waves. He needed a drink and some peace and quiet. The attacks came on suddenly when he felt overwhelmed. He grabbed his plastic bag and left the room. He told Tommy to let the kid go and drive him to the reservation. In his office, he pulled the Coke bottle out of the plastic bag and rummaged through the drawers of his desk for a glass and a little flask of rum. He poured equal measures of both and sipped until the gas built up and the warmth soaked his chest. Two or three low, rumbling burps later, and he felt the pressure release like a valve had opened. He wasn't sure if it was carbonation, the alcohol, or the relaxation that made him feel better again. It might have been a combination of all three. In any case, he never messed with the formula. The stress melted away and the vice loosened. Now he could work. He pulled his pocket notepad out and started transcribing his notes from his meeting with George. The district attorney had been working with him on the serial killings because George had been with the Buffalo office when the Erie County killer was on the loose there in the 80s. George pointed out that unlike most serial killers, there was no discernible pattern in the victims, locations, or situations. For the most part, the psychology of the killer can be seen in his work from the second or third murder. This guy was random to the outsider. 
something very personal was influencing his choices. The victims were of various sex, class, and race. They were found in different places, although none seemed to be moved too far from the point of contact either before or after the murders. Anne's was a break-in, another occurred on the victim's morning jog, and the third was in the bathroom of an L-nighter. The possibility that George raised was that they looked suspiciously like executions. The victims were selected previous to the killings for some purpose. Serial killers generally targeted a type of person, like hookers or young boys, not specific people. George said that he would look into the historical data on the subjects and locations. Carlton didn't tell him that he had already thought of that. He was sure the district attorney meant some official records in the courthouses or archives. He was positive that he didn't mean asking for seeing the local librarian. That was just another of Carlton's many quirks. He liked to go to the roots to solve a crime. In a town like this, that was where it all came from. Francine was a woman who knew about the roots of Canyon Park. His wife was one of the few local people who used the library services, and she always gushed over Francine's knowledge of local history. Ever since their son died, she spent most of her time looking up local facts and Indian lore. She was convinced the town and the people in it were cursed. Lately, because of the murders, she was even more difficult to talk to than usual. He regretted even telling her about them. Little did he know he would set her off on some other spiritual tangent. Everything was always brought back to God, Jesus, and the Holy Ghost. It's punishment for us, she said that night. He knew she was drunk on the wine he'd brought home, but he was too, so he couldn't say anything about it. What kind of punishment, he said. She was going to go off on another of her holy rants, as he'd like to think of them. It was distracting to the problem at hand, the one he was just discussing with her about the newest death of Ann Lalo. She leaned in close over her glass, spilling some on the table as it tipped over too far. Luckily, she had drunk most of it already. We weren't meant to live here, Carl. This is Indian land. I think God condemned it. They did bad things here. Who did? The Indians? Yes, she said, wagging her finger. Them and the people who came after them. I read it at the library. Francine showed me the journals that an old priest wrote about converting the Indians. They wouldn't turn from their idols and animal gods for nothing. So they had to beat it out of them. So you think God cursed the land because the Indians wouldn't convert? No, I think they wouldn't convert because nothing that evil can come to Jesus and show their true face to him. They'd die from the truth just looking at him, even a picture. That priest said the Indians didn't like the pictures of the crucifixion. They were afraid of it. Well, there's a lot to be afraid of when you think you're going next, Colton said. Kid if you want, but I think that's why we lost our boy. He was so good and beautiful, too much to live here. We should have left a long time ago, Carl. We should have taken him the day he was born and gone. It always ended like that with them. She'd go upstairs to bed and he'd be left with the guilt that he didn't do something to save his own son from dying. It was an accident and he was miles away at the time, but she found a way to blame him. Blame someone besides the God she so worshipped. But even Father Charles said that there were some things that we might not be meant to know. God had his reasons and we cannot understand. Though he tried to dissuade her, she still thought the place where he died was cursed. She never even went to his grave because it took her past that place. An abundance of images of Jason decorated the house since his death. Carlton's favorite sat in the hallway in a silver frame on a pointless little table. Every day since Jason died, he walked into the house and faced that picture. Never did the impact fade. Every time, the fist tightened in his stomach and his guts turned heavy. He sloshed as he struggled past the picture, holding back tears and memories that he had never cared to cherish while his son was alive. The most obvious were the holes in those memories when he was not there, 
at work, with his friends, fishing or drinking. He regretted that he dwelled on those lost moments with his son. Against all the years that hardened him and made him cynical, he wanted there to be a God in heaven so that he might see Jason again. When he prayed for that, he felt himself like a little boy again. Perhaps that was the comfort that his wife felt in grasping to God in this time. Logic said that if God had strange and unknowable ways, then he wanted Jason dead for a reason. As far as he can see, there was no good reason. Yet, his son was still dead. That was a fact incomprehensible to him. It made him think about the killer out there in town. Someone wanted these particular people dead for a particular reason. If that were so, then it wasn't a serial killer. It was a cold-blooded assassin. Who in Canyon Park could have a vendetta against these people? Who had harbored so much anger that it exposed itself now in this form of expression? In short, who was the killer and what were his motives? Back to square one. His conversation with John left him with lingering doubts. He'd seen a lot of messed up stuff go on in Canyon Park, but this rain took the cake. There was a lot of stuff that went on against the Indians and the people who tried to help them, especially when it came to those godforsaken boarding schools, and even more so when it came to Old Man Lalo. An avenging spirit, or whatever John had said it was, might find a lot of people here willing to take up arms against any number of people. There was his connection. If the killer was anything, he was Indian, most likely from the reservation. A knock on the door jarred him from his thoughts. He focused his eyes, gulped the last of the rum and coke, and popped two Altoids into his mouth. He didn't want it to be Mike Catalano, his captain again. Last time he was sure Mike smelled the alcohol, even though it was only a small drink. Only after he was sure he was at least presentable did he tell the person to enter. In walked Jerry, the dopey grin he had all his life spread across his face. With that thought, Carlton realized he was slowly feeling drunk. He smiled back at Jerry. What's going on? He leaned back in his chair. I found the killer, Jerry said. Carlton leaned forward too fast and his head swam. His mind was slow because he suddenly realized that Jerry was kidding with him. Who's that, he asked. Gary Connors, Jerry said. I'm not joking, that son of a bitch is a psycho. I should know because I used to beat him up in second grade. I probably made him that way. It doesn't go together, Carlton said. He's angry, his wife left him. Unless Ann Lalo forced her to leave, I don't think so. No, I mean someone who was slighted or wronged and thinks the victims had something to do with it. Yeah, Gary's too religious to take revenge. He let God do it for him. Carlton gave his nephew a disapproving look. Watch it, Jerry. You could do with some religion yourself instead of running around with your friends all the time. Besides, if your aunt heard you say that, she'd be all over you. Then she'd call up your mom and pop. Jerry sank into a chair across from the desk. Yeah, well, just because you're old, wiser, and wealthier, thank you, Crone smiled. Seriously, if I were looking for someone who's just abnormal, I'd look at Gary, but he's going through something with his wife. I'm looking for someone with the motivation to kill these people. The guy's been weird his whole life, Uncle Carl. Besides, you know who he is, right? Not really, and I don't care. I think there's a new type of killer we're looking for, someone who's a ruckus erupted outside the office. Carlton got up and followed Jerry out to the front desk. Carlton's office was just off the main hallway, so he heard everything that happened out there. Some cops, soaked to the bone and shivering, stood around all talking at once, one louder than the other. They were telling a story to five other officers, or three versions of a story simultaneously. If Mike came out here now, he'd be fuming at the boys, Carlton thought. Wait a minute, guys. One at a time, Tommy called from the desk. Pete, you tell us what happened. The officer took a breath and said as easy and calm as anything. All the bridges along the White River, gone.
Erosion by Lon S. Cohen. To find out more, please visit www.coincide.blogspot.com. This patio book is a production of Zilco Studios. <laughs> this production is a production. <laughs> okay.